Back in 2015, a man named Jocko Willink co-authored a book called Extreme Ownership. And there were a couple things about this book that caught my attention. First of all, I could actually read it because it was at my level. And the other thing is that it was written by a person who's a retired Navy SEAL in the U.S. Navy. And so the premise of the book was he was taking his experiences from being a Navy SEAL and he was applying those principles to everyday life. And while I had plenty of notes that I took from this book, there was one note that rang for me this week as I was thinking through our topic that we're diving into. One of his principles was prioritize and execute. Because he, he told stories how on the battlefield or in combat situations, there are so many variables that are always just completely random up to the moment that you're there. And so he recognized that in situations where there's a dozen things you could do, it's easy to be paralyzed and just evaluate your options forever. And you and I know this from when you open up Netflix. You can be paralyzed by all the options. So what Jocko says is needed of all of us is in moments where there are many different things you could do, just prioritize and execute. Prioritize what's most important and execute. And then once you do that, you go to the next thing. You prioritize and execute. Don't get stuck in paralysis, but rather prioritize and execute. And he had all sorts of illustrations for how this comes across in daily life And maybe you can think through this last week of how you've had to do that too. It would be great if there were 25 hours in the day or an extra day each week just to fit in all the things that you need to do and would like to do. And so you have to prioritize and execute. You prioritize what you need or want to do and then you do it and then you reevaluate and prioritize and execute. It's this thing that we all do, but it's important to do it intentionally. Now today we're talking about prayer. So let's just get it out there. Number one, where is prayer on your priority list? As you think back to the last week, the last month, the last year, where has prayer been on your priority list? I want to acknowledge the diversity and audience that we have, both here in the room and tuning in online. Some of you pray every day, several times a day, faithfully, and you would say prayer is a very high priority, and it almost always has been. And for others, the only time you pray is when there's a pastor standing in front of you, and you're quiet, and you're folding your hands and listening to the pastor. There's a wide diversity, and the reason I bring up this question is not to guilt you into praying more. But I I think this is a good time of the year to just ask the question, where is prayer in your priority list? Is it a high priority? Is it a low priority? Is it not a priority? And here are a couple things that can make it a challenge. Let's just be honest with this, and then we'll see how God addresses it. Uh, First of all, we prioritize what seems most urgent in our lives. You prioritize what seems most urgent. Okay, so someone gets hurt, they're bleeding, that is urgent. You go to the doctor, you go to the emergency room, that is urgent. You know what is not urgent? Eating broccoli. Very not urgent. 
To the point where we could just be, be honest, maybe it will never happen. You know, broccoli is just one of those not urgent things, but both have to do with your long-term health. Whether you're bleeding or you're needing to eat broccoli, both have to do with your physical health. One is urgent, the other is not. Now, here's a quote I heard this last week. Um, it was actually from, it was from Dwight Eisenhower, but I think he was quoting from someone else, and I don't have the exact quote, but here's the thought. He said, don't let what's urgent get in the way of what's important. It's easy to fill up your priority list with what's urgent. Got a report to do. Got this vacation to get ready for. Have to get this interview done. Got these things that are pressing and people are counting on you. That's urgent. But then there are the important things in life. Things that no one will get angry at if you don't do them but they are still important. So is prayer urgent? Is it important? Here's what I found. Quite often, prayer is not urgent until you've tried everything else. Here's the other thing that makes it difficult. We tend to do what seems most effective. So if you're looking to get healthier, what's an effective way to do that? Well, you change the way you eat, you go to the gym, you do some certain things there. You know what's effective and you know what it feels like when you're being effective. You know what's not effective for, for getting healthier physically? Sitting in a chair. And I know the, the stresses that can come up in the morning as you think about all the things going on that day and all the tasks and priorities you have to go through. The last thing you want to do is sit in a chair and do nothing for 10 minutes. But isn't that what prayer is? Is prayer just sitting there for 10 minutes doing nothing while all these things could be done? Here's the thing. Prayer isn't doing nothing. How's that, how's that for a double negative? Prayer is not doing nothing. It is actually doing something. But what I know is that we often don't turn to prayer as the most effective thing until we've tried everything else. But what if we could turn that around? What if we could see prayer from a different light? I'll ask the question again, where is prayer on your priority list? And here's where we're going to go for the message today. My plea for you is not to rearrange your life so that now prayer is at a certain place on your priority list. That's a good thing. That's, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Jesus actually taught people how to do this. He said, when you pray, set aside a certain time, go in your room, close the door, and speak to your Father in heaven. Jesus taught people how to prioritize prayer. But what we're going to see is that James, the half-brother of Jesus, taught people how to make prayer a priority in a different way. And what we're going to see is this. Prayer is not just something that you do. Prayer is the means by which everything else gets done. And really, I didn't need that lengthy introduction. All I had to do was tell you that James, the half-brother of Jesus, teaches us how to talk to Jesus, which is just incredible when you think about it, because for so much of James's life, he did not believe his brother was the Savior. He did not think his brother was God in flesh. 
But after James saw him die and then come back to life, James changed his tune. He became a great leader for the Christians in Jerusalem, and he helped people understand what it means to have a savior and follow him with your life. In fact, James was very, very excited when he was telling people about how to live out your faith in Jesus. And as we look at his letter written in the first century, he's going to show us uh, towards the end of his letter in chapter 5 what it means to prioritize prayer as part of your walk of faith. And if you want to be done with a life that's apathetic with your faith, where it's kind of this thing on the side, you've got your compartment where you do your church thing and then you've got this whole different life. If you want to tear down, if you want to be done with this life of apathy in your spiritual life, James says, let's see how to prioritize prayer. Not just as something that you do, but as something that is the means by which you get everything done. So let's turn it over to James. James chapter 5, starting at verse 13. And we'll see what he says about how to talk to his half-brother in prayer. He says this, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. And the, the word for in trouble kind of means that misfortune just seems to be following you around. You're meeting an obstacle. There's resistance in your life. And he's kind of vague as to what kind of trouble this might be. But the other places in the Bible where we see this word trouble come up have to do with persecution and people put in prison. So this isn't just having a bad hair day kind of trouble. This is an intense life-questioning moment kind of a trouble. And James says, if you're suffering through that, that's a cue for you to pray. And how to pray, what to pray, we'll, we'll get there. But he says, suffering, trouble is a circumstance in which we can pray. So look back at your last week. Was, was there a, a, a situation like that where there was trouble or suffering where you had to go through it? And was your natural response to pray? Think of a priority for this coming week. And the reason it's a priority is because there's trouble. Is your natural response to pray. James says, if you are in trouble, pray. Then he says, there's another circumstance. The opposite. Is anyone happy? In other words, you're just high on life and nothing can stop you and you're on top of the world. If so, let them sing songs of praise. Pray through song. Just let it come out. It's not this just words that come out, but it's actually you can't help it, but you have to put melody behind the words because the feeling of happiness is just so overwhelming. So it's not just suffering that should cue us to, to pray, but actually celebration is also an opportunity. And maybe think about this upcoming week, this upcoming month. Are you celebrating something? Is there a priority because of a celebration, a wedding, a birthday, something else? Is that a cue to pray? James says, you should pray. And then a third category he brings up is this. Is anyone among you sick? And this Greek word is used in a lot of different ways. In some places, it's translated as weak, like too weak to, to travel. In other places, it's a physical ailment. And in some places, it's like this darkness of your soul where you just don't have the will to do anything. But he says, if that's you, 
if it, let's just categorize it as sickness. If there's some sort of sickness, that is your cue to pray. And again, you think about this upcoming week. What priorities are in place because of some sort of not wellness, some sickness? That is your cue to pray. So we put that all together, thinking through the priorities that are busy and part of our lives, James would tell us this. Struggles, celebrations, and sicknesses are all occasions for prayer. Now you can begin to feel the little bit of a tension because if you're just looking to prioritize prayer in your life, it's not just one thing that you do and then you're good, but James is giving us a different way to apply it. What if you had a broader view of prayer where it applied to several things going on in your life? There's power there. When you begin to look at the different circumstances and see them as opportunities. I know some of you say, I'm too busy for prayer. I got to keep moving. I don't even have 10 minutes just to sit and be quiet. Well, here's the thing. If you had nothing going on in your life, what would you pray for? It's when you're at your busiest that you have the most things to bring to God in prayer. And then James goes on to explain a little bit more about this last category, the sickness. And this, this section has brought a lot of commentators to not disagree, but offer different explanations as far as what is going on here. So he asks, is anyone among you sick? If so, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. So maybe someone is in a place where they really can't pray for themselves very well. They're sick, they're sleeping, whatever the case may be. And if if there's ever a situation where a person cannot pray for themselves, call the elders of the church. Someone from the ecclesia, the congregation who can come and serve them and pray over them for them. And then there's disagreement. What does this mean to anoint with oil? Well, <laughs> there's different ideas. Some say that this anointing with oil was um, a medicinal thing, where, like Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan who anointed, the, the um, Samaritan anointed the person with oil as a way to bandage their wounds. Um, others have suggested it's this miraculous thing where they had special oil that uh, was infused with divine properties, and I don't think that's the case. Here's a simpler explanation. One day, Jesus was eating dinner at a Pharisee's house. And this woman came in and started pouring perfume on his feet and washing his feet with her hair. And the Pharisee says, he should know this woman is a prostitute. She shouldn't be anywhere near him. And Jesus said this, among other things. He said, when I came into your house, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she poured perfume on my feet. It was a custom when someone entered your house to show hospitality to them by washing their feet and apparently also anointing their head with oil. And since I'm having growth group later today, I'm going to have some oil by my front door. And as my members come in, we're no. <laughs> that was a custom. It was, it was a way to show hospitality. And what is James saying? When the elders come to this person's house, it's not so that they can be shown hospitality. They are coming to serve. They are the one washing the feet. They are the one anointing with oil. They are here to show love and concern. Maybe in modern day terms, we would say they're bringing over some chicken soup and some flowers. Not to eat the flowers. You eat the chicken soup. But the the idea is you are here to help them, here to serve them. 
And so the elders come. They demonstrate care, and also they apply prayer. But then we also have to look at this next part, because James goes on and he says, this is the result. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up, and if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. It seems like James is mashing together all sorts of things here, all into one. There's physical sickness, but then there's also spiritual distress. There's needing for healing, but then there's also needing for forgiveness. And it's, it's kind of interesting how he's so vague with his terms, like they could mean a number of different things. But here's what we see from his half-brother who did the same thing. People came to Jesus seeking healing. And what did Jesus give them first? Forgiveness. People came to be healed and Jesus would say, your sins are forgiven. Because he understood that the deeper root of all of our problems in life come from sin. And so he, before he even treats the symptom, he gets to the heart of the matter. And the same is true of his church. While, Jesus, while God did give those apostles in the first century special gifts to heal as a way to validate their message, the greater power was in the message they shared. You are forgiven. You are loved. And perhaps God would work miracle healings through them, but the greater picture was that this sick person is being cared for, and they are loved, and they are in the hands of their heavenly Father. And then James gets to the point. When he says, therefore, it means, here's my point. Like, here's what we're getting at. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That's what the church is all about. The healing, if it happens, great. But the greatest healing has already happened. Your sins have been forgiven. Have you ever experienced that, where people are around you in a time of need, Maybe it was in a hospital bed, or maybe it was just in your house. And someone came to you. Maybe they had chicken soup. Maybe they had oil. I'm not sure what they had. But they came to you, not to be served by you, but to serve you. And in that moment of need, and it could even be on the telephone, in that moment of need, they say, you know what, can, can I just pray for you? Can I pray over you? And even though you had prayed a hundred times about that same thing, there was something different when the words came from someone else. I love it when I'm talking with one of my Christian friends on the phone, sharing with them some things coming up or some things I'm wrestling with, and they say, can I just stop and pray for you? I say, no, I've already prayed for that. I'm good. <laughs> no, I say, please, yes. Please, yes. And here's the thing. Your prayer is powerful. Your prayer is effective. And there's nowhere in scripture that says 100 prayers from 100 people are better than one prayer from one person. But what I do know is that when we pray together, some powerful, powerful things happen. It's the exercise of community. Praying with God is a celebration of the community and the unity you have with him. And when you pray with others, it's a celebration that you are brothers and sisters. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. And then he goes on. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Just one prayer from one person is powerful 
and effective. So the point of praying together is not to really just convince God that one vote might not do it, but if we send up a thousand votes, maybe he'll do what we ask. It's not about that. It's that there's power together when you, when you get to share in the privilege of prayer. So I put it this way for number three. Pray with one another for the benefit of one another. And this is something that's difficult to prioritize. Like you can't put this on a list, but you know that there are occasions that come up when you have the opportunity to pray for someone or you have the opportunity to ask for their prayer for you. And it's not because your prayer is ineffective or their prayer alone is ineffective, but because when you pray with one another, it is for the benefit of one another. So as you think through the circumstances of life, be ready for those opportunities when they come. Now I know as soon as we hit that last verse where it says the the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, some of you were saying, that's why I have my pastor pray for me. (laughs) And it's funny, every time I go to a wedding and they're about to eat, they look at me and it's like, what? (laughs) Um, There's this idea that, you know, prayer is especially powerful from certain people. So are you a righteous person? And as James writes this, maybe he's anticipating the question from his readers. They're going to be thinking, oh, I'm not a righteous person. I can't be the one praying. And so James continues. We'll conclude with these two verses. He brings up an example of a person who had a very powerful and effective prayer. And then James compares him with us. He says, Elijah, and for those who don't know, Elijah was one of the greatest, most powerful prophets of God in the Old Testament. By the time James wrote this, Elijah had already been gone for several, several hundred years. But his name was well known as a great prophet of God. In fact, people in Jesus' day were waiting for another Elijah to usher in a new era of God's kingdom. Anyway, Elijah was this amazing prophet, but I love how James starts. Elijah was a human being, just like you, just like me. And you know how just like you and me, Elijah was? Elijah was massively successful, but he also fell into these massive bouts of depression. He felt very alone. He felt a lot of anxiety. He wrestled with his faith. He wrestled with his purpose. He wrestled with his identity. He didn't know if God could pull through with what he had promised And it got to the point where Elijah had even let himself fall into a really bad place physically. He wasn't taking care of himself. And it got so bad that God had to send an angel to make him some bread and give him some water. And the angel poked him and said, eat this, drink this, and take a nap, and then we'll talk. But God came to him in his weakness. This is the kind of person he was. And here's what he was able to do. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Now, this coincided with a very evil king named Ahab. God brought up a great prophet, Elijah, because there is a very great evil named Ahab. So this coincided with God's will and God's purpose, but Elijah prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years as an act of judgment on this wicked king. And then, as soon as the conditions were met, he did this. 
He pre- again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Two prayers, powerful and effective, and yet he was a person just like you and me. Now, I think the disciples of Jesus knew this, because one day, James and John had gone ahead. They were trying to find a place for Jesus to stay overnight. And so they went into Samaria and James and John came back and they said, we can't find any place. Like they kicked us out. They don't want anything to do with us. And so here was the solution from James and John. Next slide. When the disciples, James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? So we totally, we do that for you. Like we could pull in the favor, you know, pull in the the support from, from heaven And it'll all be good. It'll all be good. And Jesus, thankfully, rebuked them. No, you can't do that. I just want to connect this with you really, really quick. Even if you prioritize prayer in your life so that it happens every day, three times a day, you know what's going to happen eventually. It is through your prayers, the things you say to God, that you expose your own horrible priorities. You will not be righteous by prioritizing prayer. Sometimes it is through the words of our prayer that we expose our own sinfulness, our own selfishness. So Jesus set them straight on another occasion. He said, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When you go through trouble because of persecution, that's your cue to pray for them so that you may be children of your Father in heaven because that's what your Father in heaven has done for you. He loved those who were his enemies. But I do want to show you one prayer of a righteous person. The most righteous person this world has ever seen and will ever see. Jesus, the Son of God, who throughout his whole life was innocent, was being nailed to a Roman cross to be executed wrongfully. It was a miserable week and a horrible state of affairs that led to this. Betrayal, a faulty trial, anger, hatred. And so as he's being placed on that cross, you would expect him to do what James and John requested. Call down fire everywhere except for the cross. Call down fire on those who were doing this to him. And so in that moment, he could have called fire down on the entire world. But instead, he did the opposite. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. But in this most powerful prayer of a righteous person, we have to understand what he was asking for. To forgive them meant for the fire to come down on him. Instead. And that's what your Jesus did for you. One righteous person given on behalf of all the sinful ones, so that in Him, you and I would be counted as children of God. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful, and that makes this prayer good news for you and for me. He guaranteed your forgiveness. His priority was you. And so as you think about your priorities in life, would you take that to heart this week? 
Where is prayer in your priorities? For some of you, you've got it into place. It's on top, and that's a good place for it to be. But James gives us another way to view things, too. Prayer is not just a thing you do, but prayer is the means by which everything is done. Are you suffering? Are you celebrating? Is there a sickness? That is your circumstance to pray. And pray for one another, for the benefit of one another, because your prayers are powerful and effective in the name of Jesus. So finally, number four, give your priorities over to prayer. Don't just make prayer a priority, which is good to do, but give your priorities over to prayer. And I'll tell you what this looks like for me this week, and then you can make it your own. One thing I do is I'm forgetful, so I need to have a spreadsheet of tasks and things I need to follow up on. And so it's the fir- first bookmark on my tab on my, on my um, Google Chrome thing. Anyway, I open it up. It's the first thing I look at, and it puts me into task mode. Do this, do this, do this. Got to crank them out. But here's my application for myself this week. When I look at my priorities, my first step is to give them over to prayer. So if my priority is to send you an email on Monday morning, guess what? I'm praying for you. I will take those priorities and before I act on them, I will pray over them. And it doesn't mean I have to fold my hands and close my eyes, but in that moment, I am mindful of what I am doing and the ultimate impact that it has in God's kingdom, not in mine. I hand over my priorities in prayer and give them to God. And in so, I not only prioritize prayer, but I make each priority an opportunity to pray. So it's interesting how the brother, half-brother of Jesus gives us a different take on prayer. It's not just a thing to do, but I hope this week you can put into practice how prayer is the means by which everything is done. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, I know that it can be a, a, a topic that brings about plenty of guilt when we think about the way we pray or how often we pray or how we get distracted when we pray. And it can be so easy to take a message like this and just turn it into guilt. We motivate ourselves by guilt to do better and we feel bad and we don't want to feel bad. But I love, Father, how you don't use guilt to get us to talk to you. You have a grace-filled invitation. You love us. You forgive us regardless of how much we pray. And ultimately, you answered the prayer of Jesus that day when he prayed for our forgiveness, the forgiveness that he paid for. Help us to see prayer as this amazing opportunity. Help us both to make it a priority, but also help us to make it the means by which we carry out every priority we have. May that give us new eyes to see our world and our weeks through your perspective. Guide us this week with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.